0: up your Bibles to 1 first samuel chapter twenty four so today I want to talk about seeking justice or doing justly fairly really similar perhaps words but um when i'm when I'm talking about seeking justice um, I'm particularly looking at that maybe from a natural uh point of view um, people often in this world want to see justice don't they we um we often have court cases come up in the media. There's been a, a pretty prominent one over the last month or so in the media with um, Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and everyone's got their opinions on that. Uh, we know there's been other quite high-profile court cases that have happened, uh, again, that are, uh, have got, got the public's attention, and, and a lot of people have their opinions on those those things, and often when there's an outcome from that from the court case, People will have their opinion on whether justice has been done or not, and if they don't think that perhaps a punishment has been given that is um, sufficient to match the crime, then they sort of there might be a bit of an outcry, and they feel that justice has not been done. But I want to really ask the question: Is that what we're about? Just to quote Micah chapter six and verse eight. It don't turn there, but it says, "He has shown the own man what is good." And what does the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So an Old Testament scripture, but uh, I guess bringing about a simplicity in what's asked, what's expected of us. To do justly. And that's actually not always to seek justice. To seek a a natural uh, justice, to, to, to make things right in our own eyes. Um, just to quote another scripture before we dive into 1 Samuel. So in, in Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5, it says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will raise up, raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So a prophecy from Jeremiah speaking about Jesus Christ, as we know to be this King of Kings, who shall execute judgment and justice in the earth? So when it comes to judgment and justice, when it comes to determining, um, or making decisions on right and wrong and what the consequences will be for, for people's actions, we actually need to leave that to the Lord. You know, and uh, and sometimes that can be a bit tricky for us because we sort of, maybe it's almost a natural thing within us that we have this desire to see justice and when someone has wronged us, maybe we have particular feelings towards that that person, or we, we, uh, think that, uh, um, you know, there needs to be a consequence for their actions, or there needs to be a consequence for the words that they've said, or maybe I am justified in retaliating, or saying nasty words back to them if they've said nasty words to me, or whatever it may be. Gonna look at two Old Testament examples, just to build a bit of a picture here. So we're starting in First Samuel chapter 24. The background to this, we've, we've had Saul uh, being anointed as the first king of Israel, um, he, he disobeys God. In, in chapter 15, he's rejected by God for his disobedience. Um, in chapter 16, David is anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the future king. chapter 17, David uh, slays Goliath uh, of the Philistines. Um, in chapter 18 um there 's this great celebration that 's happening as 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 David has killed Goliath and um the women celebrating the victory there they say Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and it goes on to say that Saul eyed David from that day forward, so there 's a bit of jealousy that he 's forming here um in that chapter as well. Saul tried to kill David by throwing a javelin at him. That's that's pretty full on. Uh, I doubt that any of us have have come across that kind of a c- circumstance. I I certainly hope. Um, chapter twenty, David flees with the help of uh, Jonathan, um, and chapter twenty two, David draws together this. I'm going to I'm going to call them a ragtag bunch of misfits. This the the people that were perhaps struggling in life and that had debts and that had Issues in their life, they sort of gathered around David and uh, formed this band of people around him, basically. So that's a bit of the background to what we see, because Saul is on the hunt for David. He wants he wants to kill David. There's this jealousy, there's this bitterness, there's this hatred that Saul has towards David. So that's where we're picking up the story, chapter 24 and verse one. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En-Gedi. Then Saul took three thousand chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way. There was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. Old English for he needed to go to the toilet. Verse 4, and the men of David said unto him, Behold the day of which the Lord said unto you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it shall seem good unto you. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe uh, privily or secretly, stealthily. So you can see what's happened here. Saul's gone into this cave and... Just happens to be the same cave, must have been a pretty big cave, that David and his, his band of merry men were hiding in that particular cave. And the men are saying, well this is of the Lord. This is your opportunity. Here's your chance to kill Saul, kill the man who has been, is trying to kill you. And you could say David would be justified in taking Saul's life at that time. He's already thrown Saul's already throwing javelins at David he's been trying to kill him he's been hunting him through the wilderness and uh, clearly this is a this is God's solution for the problem i David would have been in a just position to take Saul's life perhaps you could look at it and it came to pass in verse five afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's, Saul's skirt and he said unto his men the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord the King. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest now men's words, saying, Behold, David seeks your hurt. So why are you listening to all these other people that it's trying to tell you that I'm trying to hurt you? I'm not, that is not my purpose, that is not my intent, is what David's saying here. Verse 10, Behold this day, your eyes have seen how the Lord has delivered you today into my hand, into the cave, and some bade me kill you. But my eye spared you. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of your robe and killed you not, now you, uh, now thou and see, sorry, know, know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, uh, Yet you hunt my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and you, and the Lord avenge me of thee. But my hand shall not be upon you. Look at that verse there. The Lord judge between me and you, and the Lord avenge me of thee. But my hand shall not be upon you. He's saying, at the end of the day, I understand there's conflict here between the two of us, but that's the consequences of that. The Repercussions of that, that's up to the Lord. It's not my place to take your life. To, to, uh, take control of this situation. To seek justice. To seek what? Uh, to seek retaliation. Verse 13, as saith the prophet, of, uh, the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be upon you. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom does thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? You can see this, the humility in, in, he's, he's almost saying, what, why are you wasting your time with this? You're the king, you're the anointed of the Lord. And here you are, running in, running around in the wilderness, chasing me, a dead dog or a flea. He's, he's just putting himself, like, he's incredibly humble in his statement here towards Saul. He's saying, I'm nothing compared to you. Why are you, why are you here wasting your time trying to kill me? Uh, Verse 15, The Lord therefore be judge and judge between me and thee and see and plead my cause and deliver me out of your hand. And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul that Saul said, Is this thy voice my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me good whereas I have rewarded you evil. And you have showed this day how that you have dealt well with me. For as much as when the Lord has delivered me into your hand, you killed me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward you good for that that you have done unto me this day. And now behold, I know well that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that you will not cut off my seed after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men got up, uh, unto the hole. So, what a, what steps David took here. What an incredible, um, position that he put himself in. It was a risky position in a way because Saul could have just said, oh, I don't really care, I'm gonna kill you anyway, but he, he recognized, hang on a second, wow, I'm the one in the wrong here. Saul recognized, he says, you know, you're actually more righteous than me in this situation. I'm hunting, I'm hunting you down, I'm trying to kill you, you've had the opportunity to, to retaliate. The Lord's put me into your hand, and yet, you haven't done that. You've shown mercy, you've shown compassion, You've shown a recognition recognition for who I am as the anointed of the Lord, the the king of Israel. So there's one example of us in the Old Testament, which sometimes in the old we can look at the Old Testament as being a bit more um a bit more brutal, perhaps, of course, than the New Testament. And yet the underlying position here is one of mercy, compassion, and of love. Let's go to Second Kings chapter six. Pick it up. Pick it up in verse eight. And the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. So this is sort of war strategy, is saying where he's going to be camping his armies. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to, the, uh, sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there not once nor twice. So it's saying that this happened several times. Syria had a plan. They had a battle plan. This was the particular place that they were going to camp. They were going to set up an ambush or whatever it was. And the prophet of God knew this and told the king. And so this is like spiritual intelligence, army intelligence. Um, Therefore the, the heart of the king of Syria, in verse 11, was sore troubled for this thing, And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of these servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedchamber or in your bedroom. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early, so the servants of the prophet had, uh, and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, alas, my master! What how? Sorry, alas, my master! How shall we do? And he answered, Fear not for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around about Elisha. There's a lot of wonderful um, uh, messages in, in these scriptures we've read, but we're particularly getting to this next section uh, for the sake of this talk. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city, follow me and I'll bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria, And it came to pass, when they were come into Samaria, that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes. And they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? Shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you smite those who you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. We see a bit of a parallel here with what we read with David and Saul. Here's this opportunity, and you could say, "Well, they've come up against us to kill us. So the Lord has smote them with blindness; He's made them blind. So here's our opportunity to kill them. We can now retaliate." And the question is asked: the king asks, "You know, shall we kill them? Shall we kill them?" And and he's like, "No. These are like you wouldn't kill them if they were prisoners that you'd taken in battle. Set bread and water. Give them provision. Look after them, and send them on their way." What an incredible um position of humility and and again, perhaps there's a bit of risk in this that that army could just turn around and say, "Oh well, yeah sure you fed us some, a bit of bread and water now I'm a bit stronger to attack you or something like that, but it says that uh uh how does it finish there uh verse twenty three so the bands of Syria came not no more into the land of Israel, so perhaps they recognized the mercy that they had received and uh And they didn't anymore attack uh Israel. So this is these two examples that we're given in the scriptures of how we can deal with situations. And we're not dealing with people throwing javelins with us or coming against us coming against us with uh with armies or with chariots or anything like that. But we do have difficult situations in our life with our relationships with other people. We have tension, we have contention, we have difficulties, we have different points of uh, opinion we have times when people get angry um, we have times of frustration all of these things and and these were you know back here they, they were dealing in, in a in a time when they de- dealt with these things with the sword that was typically the approach we don't do that but we can look to these examples for how the Lord wants us to deal with other people let's go to Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to start reading in verse 38. The words of Jesus, of course. Matthew 5, verse 38. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So Jesus here is referencing uh, the Old Testament. It's actually a a few different places that um, this terminology is used. Um, I'm going to quote an example to you. So Leviticus chapter 24, verses 17 to 20. Um, I'm reading this one from the New King James. It's it's, um, perhaps a little bit easier easier for us to understand the language. It says, Whoever kills any man shall surely be put to death. Whoever kills an animal shall make it good, animal for animal. If a man causes disfigurement of his neighbour, as he has done, so shall it be done to him. Fracture for fracture, so that's like broken bone for broken bone. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. As he has caused disfigurement of a man, so shall it be done to him. So as part of the law, there was this, you could say in a way, this fairness. Like if you get angry and attack another person and and hurt that person, damage that person's body in some way, or if you kill one of their animals or something like that, then you're actually going to have the same back to you. So the, the purpose, I guess, of this... Well, the hope through this being in the law is that this wouldn't, wouldn't need to come about. Because people would sort of recognise, oh, if I do that, there's going to be consequences. If I knock his teeth out, if I knock his teeth out, he's going to, he's going to knock my teeth out. And that's going to be fair. That's going to be just in the eyes of the law. There's this, that, that was um, how the Lord sort of, um, put in place how people would deal with one another. And it was, out of an approach of avoidance. It was trying to get people, you know, putting in place consequences, exactly the same kind of um, principle that we have speeding fines for. We hope it, you know, maybe people have different opinions on that, but I guess, you know, what he said to us is that um, consequences are put in place so that hopefully we don't speed, so that we're safe on the roads, we obey the the laws of the land, land, we, we obey the road rules, And if we obey the road rules, then we don't have to worry about the consequences. We don't have to worry about paying fines or the merit points or all of those uh, different things. So perhaps a similar principle is in place or was in place in the Old Testament. So there was an example of Jesus, what he's quoting there when he speaks of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Verse 39, But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whoever shall smite you on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man shall sue you at the law and take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. And whoever shall compel you to go a mile, go with him too. Now, I did find a note in an Amplified Bible, how confident I'm, on it I'm, I'm not particularly sure from a historical point of view, but this note said that Roman soldiers were allowed to force civilian bystanders to carry their gear one mile for them. So the Roman soldiers who were, you know, Rome was occupying Jerusalem at the time and apparently according to this that they were allowed to go up to some uh, random Jewish person and say, you carry this, we're going a mile, you know, rather than um, carrying it themselves. So perhaps the principle there is if you get us to do something, go the extra mile. You know, we, we, we have that saying even to this day, don't we? Go the extra mile. Um, go above and beyond what is asked of you. Verse forty two: uh, 42, Give to him that asks you, and from him that would borrow of you, turn not th- thou away. You have heard that it has been said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. Now I found it quite interesting. Sometimes you pick up on things looking in other translations that have the The quoted words are recorded differently, so they might be in italics or um in, in capitals or something like this and when you read this in like a New King James version or an Amplified, you realize that when Jesus said, You have heard that it has been said, You shall love your neighbor that's a quote, and hate your enemy is not a quote, so it's almost like to love your neighbor is a part of the law that's you know we can we can look at the scriptural references for that, but this Hate your enemy it was not actually quoting the Old Testament. it wasn't quoting the law. perhaps this is something that had been created over time that people sort of had this um, uh, they'd come to the conclusion well yes I, I get to I, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but I get to hate my enemy. I don't have to love my enemy but in verse forty four but I say unto you, Jesus said, Love your enemies' Bless them that curse you. Do good for them. Do, do good to to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For He makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Now. When it talks about the sun rising and it raining on the just and the unjust, it's talking about the blessings of God. Sometimes we think of rain as being a bad, a bad thing. You know, we think, oh, the weather's going to be miserable. Well, actually, today, um, as an example, Um, but really, in in these times, and with you know, the uh, of course, the reliance on agriculture, the rain was seen as a blessing. The sun rising in the morning was a blessing. The rain was seen on the as a blessing. So, Jesus is saying that. God provides blessing for both the just and the unjust in 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 what is provided in the world that we live in. And he's saying we should do the same. We should actually, regardless of whether we think that people are right or wrong, good or bad, whatever it is, our desire should be to bring about a blessing for them. Verse 46, For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. And if you salute your brethren only... What do you more than others? Do not even the publicans or the tax collectors uh, do so? Be you therefore perfect or, or complete or mature, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect, complete, mature. So here we have this, this instruction on how we're to live our life. And it can be challenging, can't it? Because when people do the wrong thing by us, it can affect us we can just feel frustrated by that person. We can feel disappointed by that person. We can feel angry uh, about what that person's done or what that person said. But if we retaliate, we can end up in this really difficult situation. Because one thing is said, and then we might retaliate, but we actually up it a little bit. And then they retaliate, but they actually up a little bit. And and you end up sort of climbing this ladder. Well, it's actually not really climbing the ladder. It's more like going down a, a spiral where things get worse and worse and the tension gets greater and greater and, and people become more and more frustrated, more and more angry. And we can look at this in a lot of different relationships in our life, can't we? We can look at our, our marriages, we can look at our our family uh, relationships, whether it's maybe brothers or sisters, mothers, fathers, sons, daughters, whatever it may be, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, um, our our work colleagues, the people that we, we deal with on a day to day basis, um Our friends, um, our literal neighbours—I know from experience—all of these different things that these different relationships we have in life, and regardless of who it is, this is how we're called to treat people. And it can be tricky, but we have to overcome our natural desire for justice, and we need to do justly. Let's go to Luke chapter ten, Luke chapter ten and verse twenty-five. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up. That's not a lawyer as we would think of them today. But that is someone who was an expert in the Old Testament law. A certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, "Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life?" And he said unto him, "What is written in the law? How do you read it? What is your understanding of it?" And he answering said, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind." So that's one quote and thy neighbour as thyself. That's a second quote from different places in the Old Testament. And he said unto him, You have answered right. This do, and you shall live. But he, willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus answering, we could spend a whole lot of time on this parable, we're going to skim through it fairly quickly for the sake of time, Certain men went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance uh, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at that place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, someone that... uh, from a Jewish perspective, you would almost consider the enemy. They were they were not of Israel. They were they were sort of uh, foreigners. They were not a part of God's plan in in the eyes of the Jews. And he, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to the inn, to an inn, and took care of him. Now, there's a lot of Meaning, spiritual meaning in behind this story, that it's very much about the gospel message, and salvation, the oil and uh, um, the oil and the wine of the Holy Spirit, um, the restoration that comes through that, the the uh, the care and the love that is shown in the inn or in the church. Just to give a little bit of a summary of, of what's been spoken about. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him and whatsoever you spend us more, when I come again I will repay you. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbour unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Now think about the question that was asked. Who is my neighbour? That's a question that's like, how do I categorise the neighbour? What's the what's the criteria for someone being my neighbour or perhaps being outside of that group? But when Jesus, he provides this incredible um, parable to, to explain his point, but then he says, which now of these three think thou was neighbour unto him that fell among the thieves? He's actually making it more about the Samaritan and the fact that the Samaritan was being a neighbour. He was the one demonstrating compassion, love, mercy. And that's the same for us. That we're not, it's not about us sort of looking around and analysing people and figuring out who's my neighbour and who's my enemy or anything like that. It's about us being a neighbour. It's about us showing love and care to whoever we stumble across in this life. Whether it's a, someone who we're very close to, or whether it's someone that we've just met in the street, the call is to be a neighbour, to be, to show goodness, kindness, love, mercy, compassion on other people. Back in the Old Testament in Exodus 23 verses 4 and 5, and this is um, quoting from the Amplified Bible, it says, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey wandering off, you must bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, lying helpless under its load. You shall not leave the man to deal with it alone. You must help him release the animal from its burden. So even though in the Old Testament it speaks of people, it speaks of neighbours and enemies as these almost two categories, this instruction is saying it doesn't matter when you see a need, when you see someone who needs a bit of compassion, it's not about sort of just figuring out, oh, are they in or are they out of my group of people that I look after and that I care about and that I do good for? It's not about that. It's about being a neighbour unto that person, regardless of what they do to you. The words here, if you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, So even if it's someone that hates you, that persecutes you, whatever it means, we still aim to do good by them. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. <coughs> So we've seen the same kind of instruction, uh, guidance for us from the Old Testament, from the words of Jesus Christ and we're now looking at a couple of examples in the letters of the New Testament and we see that they very much all parallel with each other. Romans chapter 12, we're starting in verse 14. Actually, I want to start a little bit earlier than that. Let's go back to verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honour preferring one another not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing, instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. That is a very foreign concept to this world. Again, when we see Wrongdoing, and and perhaps for us, we we particularly see things come up in the media um, where someone's done wrong, someone said the wrong thing, and someone's done whatever it may be. um, There's a lot of cursing that goes on, isn't there, in, in this world? You know, there's a lot of calls for justice, calls for the retaliation that should occur, and yet we're called to curse not. Rejoice with them, verse fifteen. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind, one towards another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. So it's not about sort of lifting up ourselves above other people, but it's getting on the same page as other people, um, connecting with other people, regardless of perhaps where they might be in their in their life or in their sort of standing in society or any any of those sorts of things. We don't look at that. We look on um, the needs in people's lives and how we can be there for them. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peaceably with all men. This is our desire. And again, maybe, maybe when I when I bring when I talk. You know, talk through these scriptures for myself. People come to mind. People that you know that maybe you've you've clashed with a bit in the past or that you've had your difficulties with. Let's just seek to have this desire to live peaceably with all men. To take the lower seat in in situations. To endeavour not to retaliate. Not to kind of climb that ladder of of, uh, frustration or anger or, or retaliation or any of those sorts of things. But, to try and bring about a unity instead. Dearly beloved, verse 19, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore if your enemy hunger, feed him, if he thirst, give him drink, for in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, there's a few different Understandings of verse twenty. I'm sure maybe you've had a conversation about this verse yourselves, where it says, "For in doing so, you shall heap coals of fire on on his head." At at first glance, it seems like that sounds like a like a like a way of retaliating or a way of getting people like having coals on your fire, coals of fire on your head um, doesn't sound like a particularly enjoyable thing. But just to introduce a a couple of other. uh, views that perhaps you can find in different um, concordances and things. Um, one is that this it brings about a, a repentance. You know that there's this hope that people re- recognise. If you like, if you think about what happened with David and Saul. David showed this mercy, didn't kill Saul, and um, came before uh, humbly. He came before Saul and said, "Look, I am not out to hurt you. I'm not. I'm not out to kill you. You're being told the wrong thing." What was Saul's reaction? It was one of humility at the t- at the time. It didn't actually end all that well later on, but at the time, it brought about a a peace. It brought about some restitution. Um, it 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 brought about a bit of recognition from Saul that hey, hang on a second, actually, I'm I'm the one in the wrong here. So perhaps that's one way of looking at it. Another thing that I've I've come across is that in the in these times, um. Fire, of course, was incredibly important to people, you know, for for warmth, for cooking, all of those sorts of things. And if you had someone whose fire had gone out, they might go to their neighbour with a a brazier, like a a bronze, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for, some kind of a vessel anyway, they might go to their neighbours to get some coals of fire. And the way that they would transport these vessels would be literally on their head. So perhaps it is actually talking about a, a giving, like a, a show of care, that I'll, you know, here's some cold, go back to home, light your own fire, look after yourself. So, just a couple of different ideas, but I don't particularly see it as one of sort of us trying to get back at people or, or anything through our doing good. We're not sort of doing good in order to get a bad result for them or anything like that. We want to see good things in their life. Um, Proverb, just to quote Proverbs twenty verse twenty two: Do not say, "I will recompense evil." Wait for the Lord, and He will save you. You know, it is our reliance upon God. We're not looking to um, bring about uh, justice. We're not looking to justify ourselves. We're not looking to um, bring about consequences in other people's lives. We leave that to the Lord. It's not up to us. Um, we just want to keep following on in his ways. We're going to finish in uh, Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. And use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in, in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbour as yourself. Remember I was talking about how... Um, you know, there was the whole concept of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and that was sort of the law that had been been put in place. But if everyone followed this, there wouldn't be no need to take take the other person's tooth or take the other person's eye or any of those sorts of things. If if everyone was loving their neighbour. Verse fifteen. Really think about these words. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. How incredibly true is that? When we think about how um, tension starts in our life with other people, it can often start small. Like someone just takes a little nip at another person, a little bite, a little chunk. And, Ooh, that hurt. Well, I'm going to bite back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to retaliate. You've said that to me. Well, I can say this to you. You've done this to me. Well, I can do this to you. But what happens is, A little bite taken, and then a bigger bite taken, and then a bigger bite taken, and then a bigger bite taken, and before you know it, you have consumed one another, you have eaten one another. And Spiritually speaking, we know that this can actually cost people their salvation if they're so caught up in conflict with other people that they just totally lose track of what's really important here. We want to be led by love. Uh where do I get to? Verse sixteen. This I say, then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. I'm not going to explain any of those things. But I do want to just spend a little bit of time before we wrap up on these next ones. Uh, let me just find these notes. Hatred can also mean hostility. Variance, a quarrel, contention, debate or strife. Emulations. It's actually the same word, that, uh, zealous, that we use, uh, we get the word zeal. So it can actually be used in a very positive sense and in a negative sense. Obviously in this group... It's negative. And in a negative sense, it means an envious and contentious rivalry or jealousy. need to get my finger where I'm up to. Wrath. Fierceness, indignation or anger. Indignation is an incredibly suitable word for this. Indignation, this is from a sort of modern day dictionary, means anger or annoyance provoked by what is perceived as unfair treatment all felt that, haven't we, a bit of indignation. That's unfair treatment, and that stirs up a bit of frustration. That stirs up a bit of anger. Strife. Electioneering or intriguing for office. Partisanship or uh, fractiousness. If I can summarise that, that's, that's the key thing that probably frustrates a lot of people about politics, that there's so much sort of biting at each other and that sort of stuff that we f- sort of feel like if you guys just sort of work together a little bit more, you might actually achieve something. But often in politics there's a lot of frustration between different parties, a lot of anger and, and, and speaking ill of the other party or the other person or the opposition or whatever it is, rather than sort of working together. Uh, that was strife. Heresies means sex or... Sex, S-E-C-T-S, or dissensions arising from a diversity of opinions and aims. And envyings means ill will, jealousy or spite. Now, a lot of these things we sort of might put in our old life. You know, when it talks about early on uh, the works of the flesh, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, We sort of look at our old life and we come up here and we share testimonies about how the Lord has freed us from this, he's freed us from that and we've had this wonderful change in our life. I think some of these other things can be a bit more um, of a risk to us of creeping back into our life. They're talking about how we deal with other people. It's not necessarily the things that we do, but it's our relationships with other people, how we react, um, how we deal with others. And we're called to avoid these things. It goes on, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revellings and such like of which I tell you you before as I have told you in times past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts so this is what we want we've got to have in our communion service in a moment we've got to remember that we have crucified the flesh put to death the old man that we used to be and let's do absolutely everything in our power to walk in the spirit the new man that we have been created they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the Spirit. So let's do justly in our life. Not seeking justice. Let's leave that up to the Lord. Let's not want revenge. Let's not look to get back at other people. Let's not uh, answer back. Um, Let's show love, forgiveness, mercy, compassion, long suffering, patience. There's a lot of other Bible words we can add into this list but that's our desire in how we deal with our brothers and sisters, our family, our husbands, our wives, um, people we meet on the street, that person that's cut us off in the traffic, whoever it is, let's be a neighbour unto them. And all the people said, Amen.